Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records a Sunday morning sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. I was singing this morning about a newborn babe. I saw several phrases there that caught my interest. I saw, I saw the expression, his natal heart. Huh? I guess that means a baby's heart, right? Natal heart. So, you know, we've... Uh, you know, there's a baby up here, you know, it just seems like all my life, this time of the year, we talk about this baby, right? As if this baby is going to rescue, deliver, save the world and solve the problems, right? Well, it's interesting that that, that hope is as old as mankind. And we go all the way back to Genesis, and at the end of uh, chapter 4, we read, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, another child, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth, to Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh, and at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So that's how that fourth chapter ends, and... Uh, um, you know, Adam's wife, Eve, is all fired up, all excited because she's going to have a baby, but just not any baby. She's supposing that this baby whose name will be Seth is going to take the place of Abel, who had been killed by, you know, his brother Cain. And uh, so folks have speculated on this. Why is it that this why is it that Eve felt that having a having a child, a baby, to replace Abel would be so important? And actually the answer to that, the answer to that is why we sing the songs that we sing this time of the year, why we celebrate what we celebrate. Because she's thinking back now to something that God had told her uh, in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to run back to there. That's in chapter three. And in chapter 3, remember there was the fall, the sin, and the Lord confronted the guilty parties. He spoke to the serpent first, and we know from the book of Revelation that the serpent was actually a manifestation of Satan himself, that it wasn't a snake that was talking, but it was a snake who was speaking on behalf of Satan and who deceived the woman. She ate the fruit and she fell. And so the first words are addressed by the Lord to the serpent, says, you're guilty, and there are consequences. I wondered if the serpent stood off to the side and snickered. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I won already, you know. I have robbed you of, the, of your creation. They are now under my sway and under my control, and I've got them. And of course, you know, if Satan said that, he was pretty true to the mark because you know, you've got the first two baby boys that are born, Abel and Cain, and what happens? Cain 
is so outraged. He is so, he is so incensed. He is so jealous and filled with envy over his brother that he rises up and murders him. You would think, man, we're just, we're just right off the bat from creation and things have gone from, from bad to about as bad as they can get right off the bat. Can you imagine that? I mean, Cain hadn't even watched any, hadn't played any violent video games yet, you know? He, he had not even, he had not read a book or heard any talk about this kind of thing. Where did he get the idea that he ought to be outraged over his goody two-shoes brother? And that the only way, the only way to master this would be to destroy him. Man, right off the bat, sin is already, seems like it's already reached bottom. You know, it's, it's not that we start off with a fall with things over time getting progressively worse. It bottomed out right away. And so that's where we're at. Well, the next words were addressed to the woman. Serpent, the Lord said, you know, I've got some things to say to you, and he said those things. But to the woman, and this is where, this is where the hope of Eve, when she looked to the birth of this new baby Seth, came into being. And why we sing, by the way, what we sing this morning, what we sing every year during this time. He said to the, he said to the serpent first, I will put enmity between you and the woman. What's another word for enmity? I mean, I think that sounds like a medical procedure. What's an enmity? Huh? Stress, strife, conflict. There's going to be an angst. You know, they're never going to be resolved or reconciled. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put this angst between you and the woman, and between your offspring. You know, between your child and her offspring, her child. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. They call this the Proto-Evangelon. This is the first mention of a Savior who would come into the world and who would resolve the sin problem first by taking upon himself, you see, uh, damage, death, if you will, at the hands of uh, the arch enemy of man, Satan himself. I don't know if you remember reading the story of Christ and his coming and his ministry and Toward the end, when they were getting ready to, you know, to try and crucify him, etc., the scripture says, says they were outraged. They were incensed at this man. It's, and the words that were used, they were envious of him. And this envy within them blinded them to any other aspect to, other than this man's destruction. Bring him down. I'm glad we don't behave that way today. We don't like to get even. We don't like to hurt people that hurt us. You know, someone that maybe has embarrassed me and something bad happens to them. I'm going, giddy, 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 giddy. I'm so glad. We don't do that. We don't, we don't live that way today, do we? We're above that. We've mastered our emotions. We are sophisticated. We are educated. We are elegant. Those base and raw and primitive and evil emotions and passions no longer run and course through our veins, do they? Hmm. 
I'm so glad we have developed to the point to where we no longer have anything other than peace and tranquility and goodwill toward men in our hearts. Say, preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. We're so glad we have, we have risen above that in our experience. Right? Look at me and say, what planet are you on, pal? You don't know what they've been doing to me. I'm thinking, you probably don't know what you're doing to them. You probably don't know the envy and the hate and the, and the grind within your heart. It rises to the surface in such ways that, that are awful and shameful. And we know that this babe took upon himself the hostility. As we mentioned, the, you know, the Jewish leadership then were so envious, so jealous. Their hearts were so poisoned against him that they wanted nothing other than his destruction. I'm so glad I'm not like those people, that I'm only good, right? Now, and to be honest, we, we struggle with these things, don't we? And so when uh, Eve said, Cain has killed Abel, and now she's conceived and she's looking to have this new baby that they named Seth. She is hoping, you see, like, like Jewish women from that time forth, all through history, hoped that they would be the mother, you see, of the child who would be the deliverer and the savior, the one who would resolve this sin problem that has so devastated the human race. They hoped and dreamed for that. Of course, we know our story. The angel Gabriel appealed to Mary and said, Mary, guess what? You're her. You're the one. That generations and generations, hundreds of generations have been dreaming and anticipating and being hopeful for. He is going to arrive and you're going to be the one. Eve said, I hoped that Seth would be the one. Actually, she said, I hoped that Abel was going to be the one. And his brother killed him and said, now I'm, I'm hopeful that Seth is going to be the one. And actually, there's a sense in which uh, that Seth is the one because Seth, you see, is the son of Adam and Eve through whom eventually Jesus came. We'll look at that in just a moment. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you, etc. There's a lot of stuff there. But the point is, is that her existence, you see, or that Womankind's existence is going to be centered in the birthing and the raising of their children. It is the, it is the normal expected pathway of a husband and wife. And of course, when a new baby is born, everybody's happy and wonderful. And then they grow up and become teenagers and you think the end of the world has come. But let me tell you something. They eventually come up to be adults. And I don't know if you've experienced this yet as an adult with adult children, but I don't know if there's heartache felt more deeply than when you share the heartache of one of your children. And so we, like Eve, and like all of the Jewish women and men and, and others down through the centuries, we long, you see, for the coming of that one, the birth of that one who would be the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior. And we have that. And the story of Christmas and what we have before us today. Let me go back now to chapter 5. In chapter 5, here we go. The old days when you could just flip through the pages. So, the baby was born, Seth. And now we have in verse 
chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations. This is the second of 12 Toledoth notations in the book of Genesis. It seems like the writer of Genesis constructed or built his Genesis document around these so-called Toledoth notations. And beginning with this second one, it's translated here, generations, literally it means uh, the uh, this would be the book of the account or the record or the story, you see, uh, of Adam. Beginning at this point forward, each of these Toledoff notations, is, uh, a, a genealogy is included with it, just to let you know that. The first one's in chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, these are the generations or the Toledoff, the record, the account or the story of the heavens and the earth. And there's no genealogy given there. Theologians wrestle over the significance of this. In recent uh, time, they can't decide whether one of these Toledoth notation closes out the preceding narrative or whether it initiates what's coming afterwards. And there are those who someone says, there are those who suppose, well, maybe it does both. Maybe it ends the first and starts the, the next one. Either way. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, by the way, the word that's translated here, Adam, and the word that's translated man, is the same exact word in the Hebrew, Adam. He made him in the likeness of God. Men, poke your chest out like that and say, God made me in God's image, right? Ah, but we got to read verse 2. Male and female, you see, he created them, and he blessed them and named them, what's that next word? Man, and it's singular, it's Adam. He named them Adam. We might probably say he named them mankind when they were created. So he put them together as a unit, you see? He put the man, he created man, he created woman, and he intended for them to be a unit. Of course, Satan stepped in the middle of that and says, Woman, listen to me. I know better than God. You know, oh, tell your husband to stay off with her out of the way. Just listen to what I have to say. Hmm. Now, verse 3 When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image. And what's his name? Seth. Remember from, from the previous chapter there. And so we have a gene. Now, um, well, let me read verse 4. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Uh, thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Notice he had other sons and daughters. The question is, is, is Seth the third born son of Adam and Eve? Thank you. I appreciate it. We had an engineer out there. It goes like this. Okay. Actually, the language here doesn't say that he was the third born. It does say that he had... He had other sons and daughters, and it doesn't know, it, it, you know, it isn't known why, why Seth is singled out here, whether because he's third born or for whatever reason. But Adam had other sons. There's Cain, of course. There's other sons that are not named. They each have their own genealogy. But the one that's selected out to include it in the text of Scripture is the one that belongs to Seth. Now, Many other sons and daughters. Adam lived how many years? 930 years. He lived almost or about to halfway through until the time of the flood. That's interesting. So from creation to the flood, 
Adam hangs around for about half of that period. So you got the idea that if someone was born when Adam died, one of his great-great-great-grandsons, that child could have lived all the way until the flood. You see? It's possible, maybe, maybe not possible, maybe there's enough few years in between, almost possible for Adam to have seen, almost possible, I don't think quite, seen the baby that would live all the way up to just proceeding to the flood. Kind of give you a time sequence there. And you're thinking, man, those boys lived a long time. 900 years? You have to know that this is early on, this is early on in creation. Uh, since then, there's been an accumulation of all kinds of ways to kill you, okay? All kinds of viruses, all kinds of cancers, all kinds of diseases. And the human constitution was first born, didn't have all the frailties, you see, all the um, um, damages that were done generation after generations. So when a baby's born into this world today, boy, He's got the card stacked against him, not only because of all the diseases, but also the genetic issues that are involved there. And so later on, it tells us that, you know, a man lives to be 70 years, count it a blessing. And if he had really good health and good genes and doesn't get shot by a bandit, he might even live another 10 years. Right? Okay. So, you know, that's what it says. They live to be that old. And they had sons and daughters. How many sons do you think, you know, did Adam wait until he was 130 years old before he had his third child? Maybe, we don't know. But it's likely that, that Adam and Eve got this thing figured out before 130 years. I'm just thinking, okay? I mean, they saw what happened. There was Abel. They saw what happened. There was Cain. And maybe after a while, they sat down together and said, we think we know what the problem is. It's the water. It's in the water. And uh, so they had many sons and daughters. You got many of these lines of genealogies from Adam going on, and they have daughters. So one of the questions I had is, is that, well, this takes us, Seth takes us all the way down to Noah, and Noah's three sons, they're the ones who went on the ark, came to the other side, and repopulated the world. So only this line of descent from Seth, you see, is the one that survived to repopulate the world. So if I ask you, you know, do you, come, do you come by way into this world through Adam? You say, yes. I say, well, do you, come by, do you come by Cain or do you come by Seth? What would you say? Seth, how do you know that? Because the scripture gives us this genealogy. And, uh, but I got to thinking, does this mean, obviously not, does this mean that Seth and his descendants only married Sethites? Not well. That's a trick question, probably not. In other words, is it possible that, that some of Seth's descendants, that maybe uh, Kenan, that's another one that's mentioned here, or Mahalel, um, you know, some of these others, is it possible that the woman that they married actually was a descendant of Cain or a descendant of one of the others? Yeah, okay. So it's likely there was some mixing, you see, of these families, you know, together. And uh, so, just another example here. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahuelel, 840 years. And he had other sons and daughters. So now you're really getting complicated. Because each of these generations of boys are also having their own sons and daughters who are starting their own lines of de descent. You realize this, you know, this, um, 
genealogy tree is getting pretty complicated. You know, I don't know if you could put it on one piece of paper. You know, all this going on if you began to map all these out. So anyway, we get all the way down. Ah, here's a guy that caught on pretty quick. When Mahulel was only 65 years old, he fathered Jared. And again, we ask the question, does that mean that he fathered his firstborn child at the age of 65? Or, for some reason, this is the child that Jared, that Mahalalel had that is singled out to be part of this genealogy. We don't know the answer to that question. But we do know that he also had other sons and daughters. By the way, there are, there are several names in this genealogy that we actually name our children by today. you got some pretty fancy names in there. you got Enoch and Kenan and Mahalel, Methuselah, those types of things. But we do have Seth. And I think we have one of our own here that has the middle name Seth. Am I right about that? Anybody here named Seth as a middle name? Okay. His name is Jacob Seth. That's quite a combination there, Jacob and Seth. All right. Good name. Uh, Ing and I have a son named Adam, and he's in, he starts out this genealogy. Uh, I see this name here, Jared. I don't know anybody named Jared, I don't think, but... It's a name that I recognize as a name that people are named. I don't know if they get Jared from the scripture. I don't know why they would. Or if Jared just comes through some other, you know, some other source. Uh, what's another name that's in this list here that we would recognize? Who? Well, how many people named their, you know anybody that named their child Methuselah? That's the one I'm looking for. Noah. Okay. And so Noah's here. So we do have a few of these names that are as the oldest names in the history of the world, and we still call people by these names. So I'm going to go down because this is the guy that I'm really interested in. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the, son, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. I wonder what a 962-year-old man looked like, right? But you understand that, again, the genetic health of people at that time was extraordinary. And so they could have been, they were having children, you see, at 300 years. So there was vitality, there was strength and youthfulness that went on for hundreds of years. It's only in these last days, these last generations, last couple thousand years, you know, that... uh, you get to be my age, and people are thinking, maybe we should change your name to Methuselah, okay? You're kind of looking that way. Ing and I was in Bay St. Louis. She took me to lunch. She does that once a month. She takes me to lunch. She pays for it. That's pretty cool, huh? So, anyway, that's all topic here. So afterwards, we did one of our favorite things that we like to do as sweethearts. We like to roam a cemetery. <laughs> So we went right next door to the cemetery. We started walking through here. And I'm going to tell you something. This was the most depressing cemetery I've ever been in. You know, you expect to see the babies, right? But I'm looking at, I'm looking at their lifespans. There were teenagers. There were those in their 20s, those in their 30s, those in their 40s and 50s. There weren't very many that reached my age. Okay? There were a few. They were a few, but most of the ones that we came across had deceased well before the 70 years. I thought to myself, what killed these people? 
because they didn't all die at the same time. They all died different times. I saw two teenage boys that died at the same time. I, I forgot the year. This was like a, I think the cemetery is probably uh, post-Civil War, something like that. I don't know all the details to it. So saw a lot of 1800s and early 1900s of people that had passed away. And uh, I like going to those cemeteries where everybody lived to be 80 and 90 and 100. I kind of got the idea that maybe I can do this too, but I didn't get that from this cemetery. So Enoch walked with God. He fathered Methuselah. Or, or after he, I'm sorry, let me go back again. Verse 21, okay, he fathered Methuselah. And, this, and Methuselah, theologians say the name means when he dies, it will come. So Enoch had a child that he's named when, it, when he dies, it shall come, probably referring to the worldwide destruction by the flood. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Notice, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Everybody else lived to be 800 or 900 years. His life was cut short. Did he get cancer? Did COVID come up and grab a hold of him and suck him down in the grave? You know, what killed this man? And actually, the next verse, Enoch walked with God. First time this expression is used in Scripture, and it will appear over and over again all the way through. And I asked, and I asked the question, what does it mean? that Enoch walked with God. And then it says, and he was not, for God took him. Does that mean that, that he walked with God and God was so proud of him that he cut his life short? I'm thinking that if I'm a good boy, God will let me live longer, right? Does it mean that, that he got, for God took him that he died? Or does it mean that he was raptured? That God, you know, he, he's... You know, as I heard one preacher say, said Enoch was walking with God and fellowship with him one day. And the Lord looked at him after they'd walked for a long time and said, look, we're closer to my house than yours. Won't you come home with me? Okay. And Enoch said, let's do that. So I don't know all that that means, but I know the idea of walk with God. To, to walk with God is the epitome of the kind of life that every human being ought to crave. What does it mean to walk with God? I think probably we could say this. To walk with God means to trust Him and to do what He says. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Actually, those two have to go together. To trust Him would be to believe what He says. And when the Lord says, walk this way, live your life this way, it must be right, it must be best, I can trust Him for that, I'll do it. So... We'll move on a little further, and then I want to jump to some other section here. So, so then, uh, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. So, so Methuselah was the oldest recorded human being, his lifespan in the book of Genesis. Were there some that lived longer? Scratch your head like this. I said, I don't know, maybe. <coughs> so maybe some of those other sons you see, and daughters live longer. We don't know. But 969 years is pretty good. Would you like to live 969 years? How, if you go back nine, let's say you go back a thousand years, that would put you when? That would put you in the year 1022? Wow. Wouldn't you like to have been born in the year 1022 and live all the way to today? Yeah, there's a lot of ugly stuff that happened through then. And, uh, but, uh, then, and then he died when Lamech had lived 182 years. He fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, 
out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. I don't know all of what that means, but I've been studying it recently and I want to get back to it. But uh, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah, 595 years, sons and daughters, etc. Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Does that mean that Noah waited till he was 500 years old before he had his first child? Yeah. I saw somebody shake their head this way, somebody shrugged their head this way. Both of those answers are right, okay? We, you know, I would think that he probably had sons and daughters. And the question is when it says after Noah, it says not when Noah was 500 years. It's a little different language than before. It says after Noah was 500 years. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So does that mean he reached 500 years? And so in the period after that, he had Shem, and then maybe Ham, and then maybe Japheth. Or does it mean these are triplets? You know, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He's talking about, you know, Mrs. Noah had triplets. And those were three babies that came at the same time. Again, we don't know the answer to that, something that we can talk about. But however, I did want to focus uh, for a few minutes on this concept of walking with God as being the ideal. I mean, that, that's, that's what we should all, that's, that should, that's what would be the ideal life of a man or a woman in any period of history. You know, if God could, could write across our life, he walked with God then we, would, we could say that we have arrived, we have lived the best kind of life that could possibly be lived. It should be something that we should seek to understand better and to uh, align our lives more consistently with this idea of walking with God. We certainly get distracted. You know, we're walking with God sometimes and other times we're not. Sometimes we, we tell everybody or we... Or we we like for people to think of us as being a godly man or man that's walking with God. But you know what? The things that we do, the things that we do sometimes deny that profession. So we're going to look at a few of those. First, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to, go to the New Testament now for several of these. I'm going to go to Jude and uh, verse 11. It says, woe to them, for they, here's our word, walked, you see, in the way of Cain. Remember, you got Abel, Cain, you know, whatever. Enoch walked with God. Well, Cain walked too. But it says here, Cain walked in a disturbed fashion. And they walked in the way of Cain. Cain was that, and his descendants were those spiteful, vengeful, angry, you know, get even kind of group. But anyway, um, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. You know, there's that greed factor that works in. I'm going to walk with God, but there's a dollar to be made over here. Okay? I'm going to walk with God, but I can look really nice and fancy and uh, to everybody, so I'll walk over here. We're actually walking with God. No one did it better than Jesus. And did it make him rich? Did it gain him a lot of uh, respect and admiration in the community? You know? If those are your goals, if you're trying to feel good about yourself, if you're trying to feel, you know, if you're trying to make some type of goals in this life as being your primary thrust, might be better to sacrifice some of those goals for walking with God, I think. All right, I'm going to go to 1 John, 
Just wanted to look at that one because it brought us from back to Genesis and uh, to 6. Whoever he says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He's talking about Jesus, right? That's pretty high order. Joseph, are you able to man up to that? You know, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. Ooh, and that raised the bar, doesn't it? Yep. As a matter of fact, it's okay to it's okay to blanch a little bit. It's okay to say, "Oh my," you know. That certainly puts this whole walking thing in a different, you know, different light than I thought before. And uh, verse eleven. Oh, this is an interesting. Who but whoever hates his brother? And by the way, hate is a word that's used in the Bible. It can mean can mean something like whoever is whoever is just despises him. Whoever just is, you know, irritated by him. Whoever has some type of hostile hostility toward them. Whoever behaves in this manner toward his brother, and I don't think he's necessarily talking about his blood brother, he's talking about talking to Christians, by the way. I'm talking to telling someone how to be saved is saying sometimes Christians behave ugly. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks, you see, in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hmm. So when you're thinking around of somebody, it can be in your workplace, it can be in your school, it can be in your community, it can be your immediate family, it can be in your church. And when you think of them, you go, <clears throat> you kind of grumble a little bit. <clears throat> okay. Or when something happens to them, you're like, ha ha, guess what? You have darkness in your soul of the worst kind. The kind that originated in the heart of Satan himself. That's why this verse is in Scripture. You know, That's why this verse is in Scripture. Let's go to another aspect of this that I thought was very interesting. And Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Now look at this. Now we command you, brothers, this is Paul, and he's such a gracious man, and he doesn't use this terminology much. Often he says, I appeal to you, you know, on your, on your gentler nature. But he says, now we command you, brothers. This is not an option. He says, I command you. Notice, notice the strong language here. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother, anyone claiming to Christian who is walking, you see, in idleness. And not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. I thought to myself, what does that mean? I mean, that's that's a that's a taboo. I mean, that's that's something that's really bad. You know, if someone's walking in idleness, you go like this: naughty, 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 naughty. You're walking in idleness. And I'm thinking, all right, what does that mean? Walking in idleness. Hmm. Hmm. We could talk about that. Some people are so doggone busy, so gone stressed out because they're so busy in their idleness. Okay, you know what I mean? Idleness isn't just sitting back saying, oh, I wonder if it's going to rain next week type of thing. Idleness just seems to be involved in those things that really don't matter. It's involved in activities and things that really just are indifferent. You're looking for something. You're looking for something to keep you from being depressed. Looking for something to kind of keep you, you know, enlivened, I guess. There's a follow-up verse for that in verse 11. 
It's just something to think about. I don't really have all the answers to that other than I'm afraid to go sit in my recliner this afternoon because I'm thinking, is that idleness? Of course, my philosophy is, is when you work, work. You know, when you play, play. You see, and when you rest, rest. And there's times for all of that. But whether you work, whether you play, or whether you rest, do it for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for self, you know, not for something to make me feel better or progress me further, but I'm doing it for Him the best that I know how. Will you always work or play or rest in a way that's, you know, that's, that's perfect? No. But because your heart is seeking, your heart is desiring and, and earnestly craving you see, to be pleasing to Him, you'll figure out the work, you'll figure out the play, and you'll figure out the other. Don't use, you'll have no, you don't, there's no reason to have an excuse. So anyway, verse 11, for we hear, says Paul, that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. So they're busy, okay, but they're busy doing what? Causing chaos, you see, in the lives of others. They're those who whisper. They're those who are trying to, you know, they've got, they're trying to work ways in which they can uh, gain an advantage in a relationship and to put others at a disadvantage in that relationship. That's what a busybody is. A busybody is showing up somebody's house so they can talk about somebody else. Okay? You're not a busybody, are you? You're not somebody that walks in idleness, are you? The right answer to that is, is I really don't know, Pastor because I really don't know what that means. But one thing you should be able to say, whatever it means, I don't want to be guilty of it. So, Lord, help me in my mind and in my emotions and in my spirit to be able to resolve those things that are contrary, you see, to walking with God, to tr- putting my trust in Him Believing what he says and then doing what he says. I'm past my time, but I'm going to go to one more. Not much past my time, I don't think, Scott, am I? Do I have time for one more? Let Scott decide. Sure. Okay. All right. I was trying to make him put him on the spot. He always handles that so well. All right, let me go back. This one's kind of weird, but it has the word walk in it, and I thought it's something that some people fool with, maybe nobody here, but... Um, Let's see, we might want to go back a verse. Yeah, here we go. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The onks is on you, isn't it? You can't say, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. It says, Anything that the Lord asks you to do, He gives you the strength, He empowers you, He gives you the motivation to get it done. So when He says, cast off the work of darkness, yeah, maybe you can't. But you can if you're walking with Him, if you're trusting Him, if you're believing what His Word is best and right, and then you're willing to follow through on it. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here's our walk word here. Let us walk properly. What does it mean to walk improperly? Well, it's going to tell us a little bit here. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Because bad things happen at night. You ever heard that? You ever had your mom and grandma said, only bad things happen after midnight. That's why you got to be home at a certain time. Mm-hmm. 
Except in my house, sometimes my wife can't sleep. It is after midnight. You know what that woman does? She reads her Bible. Okay? She tries to get an hour of reading her Bible every day. So she gets up at night, she reads her Bible. Good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she's not doing some of this other stuff. She says, look up properly at the same time. Not in, I don't even know if you can say this word publicly here. Not in orgies. It sounds like a frat house, doesn't it? Not in orgies and drunkenness. It's kind of, you got this, you know, you got this license for sexual sin, these orgy type things, and drunkenness are kind of leveled out there. They, they kind of go together anyway. I've never been to an orgy. But I, I would think, I would think that at an orgy, you've got alcohol, okay? That's just what I'm thinking, or some other stuff similar to that. So he says, not in orgies and drunkenness, it says, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in, oh, like I said, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any problem with these other things, whatever, but not in quarreling and jealousy. There we have it again. This envy that enrages our heart against one another. He says, let us walk properly, not improperly. And then he lists these things here. So the scripture... Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament says, counsels us to fashion our life in such a way that it can be characterized as those who are walking with God, who are believing and trusting in what he says and are doing what he says based upon that. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Help, Lord, we ask, we pray that it would, that it would uh, do its work of transforming us giving us the perspective that we need on our life and the here and now, but also on ourselves and giving us direction, giving us light upon our path so that we can uh, probably and, and potentially move in a better direction. And we pray these things in Christ's name. for listening to the Sunday message. We hope your understanding increased and maybe discovered one or two things you can use to improve your relationship to God and to fellow believers. If you aren't a member of a local church, we invite you to come check out Bible Fellowship Church.